All right, this is an oral history interview with Scott Richardson for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. We're at the Institute uh, today, and this is Tuesday, April 17th, 2007, and I'm Brian Williams. Scott, let's start with your first encounter, personal encounter with uh, Senator Dole. I think the first time I saw Senator Dole was 1974 when uh, President Ford came to Wichita uh, to campaign for him, and I shook his hand there. But the first time I actually met him was the last day of my internship, summer of 1978. So it would have been, I think, August, early August, maybe 1978. And I uh, had been an intern in the nutrition subcommittee on the agriculture committee staff for a woman named Laura, uh, Lenora Moraney. And but it was August, and so Senator Dole wasn't really around that much. I got to do a lot because Lenora was a great mentor. But uh, didn't meet him until actually the last day of the internship, and they lined up all the interns to uh, you know shake a hand, and get a picture taken with him, and and I remember he had uh, a microphone coming out his you know suit pants because he was being interviewed by somebody, and we just they just kind of lined us up before the interview, and and I remember meeting him, and then uh, about a month later I was I went back to Wichita and I was doing volunteer work for Senator Casimo's first campaign for the Senate, and. Uh, she won the primary, and uh, we had a press conference at the uh, airport, and Senator Dole came, and I went up and introduced myself again and said, I just met you a month ago. I interned for you this summer. And then um, the next semester, my second semester in college, I interned at the State House and was around Senator Dole a number of times then, and uh, got to meet Kim Wells, who was his administrative assistant out here and, and one of his top aides. And uh, through that, Kim got me a job on the staff, and so I started the next summer in 1979. And your role when you joined the staff? Uh, gopher, you know, bag carrier. I was called a research assistant on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, subcommittee on improvements in judicial machinery is what it was called. It's not called that anymore. I think it's called courts. And uh, I was really a typist. I actually would type legal memoranda on uh, um, an electric typewriter, which was pretty educational, actually. And, uh, but I also drove Senator Dole to receptions at night and, you know, literally probably, you know, just went gopher-type duties, clerk kind of thing. And then? Well, um, that first year I was on uh, Judiciary Committee staff, and it was in an annex. I was away from the personal staff. But I got to know Senator Dole because I would drive him at night. And uh, he was so accessible uh, I had also interned, and so I, I would sometimes just send a memo directly into, I'd go over to Betty Meyer's desk right outside his office and just put a memo down, not clear it with anybody, and uh, sometimes congressional record statement, something that I thought, you know, maybe he might want to talk about. And uh, that was one of his great traits, if you were a staff member, is even if you were a 22-year-old straight out of college with absolutely nothing to offer, just nothing really. Um, he would read your memo, or, or he might, you know, put your statement into the record, and he'd send you notes back, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd talk to him in the evening when we'd be going to receptions and really kind of got to know him. And so in 1980, he was uh, running for president, and um, the Iowa caucuses, of course, were the first, you know, um, campaign in the presidential campaign. And he... Uh, had me come out and do advance work on the presidential campaign in 1980, and so I got to know him better there. And then um, I moved back to Lawrence uh, the summer of 1980 to work as an advance man on his, uh, they probably don't call it advance man anymore, but advance operative or whatever, on his uh, Senate reelection campaign. And so I traveled all over the state with him 
for four or five months. Uh, there were only, I think, three advanced people in the campaign, and so I was with him a lot. And then um, at the end of that campaign, in January of 81, I went back and I uh, um, was put on the personal staff in Washington. I was called special assistant. I was kind of like a legislative assistant without a legislative area and kind of carved out, I don't know, it was sort of my own niche. <laughs> I was kind of an all-purposes public affairs assistant to him, and I traveled with him a lot around the country for a number of years. And then uh, a couple of years later, I became deputy press secretary. Like about when was I think that would have been 82. Uh, it was right around the time Walt Riker uh, came to the staff to be press secretary. And I had an offer to be press secretary for a House member named Bob Whitaker from Kansas. Um, but uh, I, went to Senator, I went to Walt and I went to Senator Dole and said I'd really rather stay and be deputy press secretary. And, and typical of Dole, he said, okay, you know. And so I got to, uh, because I was really interested in, in the media end uh, of politics, and eventually I went into television. So, so did you ever be, become the press person, or you were always... I was really deputy to Walt Riker, but when uh, um, Dole became majority leader, he was elected majority leader in the fall of 1984, and essentially sort of became de facto majority leader. Howard Baker still majority leader, I guess, technically until January. Um, but they started to kind of transition Dole into the majority leader role. And um, I became press secretary for the personal staff for Kansas issues, and Walt moved over to the Capitol office. So for mm, six or eight months, I was press secretary for personal staff. But even then, I was really deputy to Walt. He was the overall press secretary. Now, you, you had uh, unusual access to the senator, obviously, uh, being his driver and so forth. Yeah, uh, it's funny. There were... Um, there were two or three of us that kind of traded off as driver at various times, and then he would he would have a guy on staff who was really the driver about half the time, and half the time uh, sort of us young guys would you know trade off. But uh, the fact is, Senator Dole had he was accessible to just everybody, and uh, that's a plus and a minus as a you know manager. But it, I think in terms of uh, political management, that's not all that unusual. Um, but he. Uh, if, if you had a good idea and you could talk to him, if you could look at him in the eye and talk to him and say something quick, um, he'd listen to anybody. And, uh, and I think that maybe would drive administrative assistants crazy, certain ones. Actually, the ones that are, were kind of more, had more self-confidence, didn't mind it that much and just accepted that's the way he was. There'd be a few chief of staff or senior people that just could never get used to the fact that some kid straight out of college was... You know, just yapping to one of the most powerful legislators, you know, in America <laughs> about whatever they wanted to talk about. But he would listen to you. On the other hand, you could be a senior person who uh, really wasn't offering anything of any value, um, and he wouldn't listen to them at all. I mean, literally wouldn't, wouldn't talk to him or, you know, not necessarily fire him, but just kind of not pay any attention to him. But I always... I always felt like I could always talk to him and send him, send him ideas and, and statements and you know what, whatever I dreamed up about half the time. And were you carefully uh, selecting this information <laughs> forward <laughs> at risk of... Uh... I think maybe more so, you know, the longer I was there, but I'm sure when I was 22 and I was in an annex office and Judiciary Committee staff... Uh, no, I was coming up with anything I could think of to give him, you know. And, uh, I mean, I just thought, I, I, you know, I, I didn't really, I probably wasn't as judicious as I could have been, but I remember one time I wrote a 
I knew that the Wichita Jazz Festival was coming up, and this, that was not an issue in the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know? <laughs> and uh, I wrote a statement about the Wichita Jazz Festival and just walked over and put it on his desk, and then it would come back checked, and he'd put it in the congressional record. Uh, and then I remember one time there was something happened with Pizza Hut, and Pizza Hut, of course, was based in Wichita, and it was founded by the Carney Brothers of Wichita, and I don't know what the issue was, but I wrote up something about Frank and Dan Carney. I still have it, actually. And uh, um, I remember he sent it back, and he had circled Dan. And then off to the side, he wrote, or Frank, question mark, because he knew that I had gotten him mixed up somehow. But he, you know, he corrected it and put it in the congressional record. And I don't, you know, I, and I'm pretty sure I would never tell anybody, you know, like the chief counsel or anything, that I was sending him stuff that had nothing to do with Judiciary Committee. Um, but I, you just kind of understood that was okay with him if it was worthwhile because he wanted ideas and, and uh, he really liked to deal with 50 people at one time. And uh, as long as you weren't abusing it or just sending in stuff that was poorly written or pointless, you know, uh, but everything I sent in would have something to do with back home with Kansas. So what about uh, being in the car with him uh, driving to a reception? What would be a likely conversation? <laughs> you know, that was, uh, that was great because um, at the Capitol, Dole would be under so much pressure. You know, he could be pretty brusque and uh, kind of needed to be because when you're making yourself accessible to every member of the staff, you can't stop and just listen to what everybody has to say. And so he moved very fast, as people might, other people I'm sure have told you. He would literally barrel through. I mean, big guy, 6'2", 200 pounds, very athletic, booming voice, dark hair. He'd just barrel through, and you'd have to almost run to keep up with him. And he was well into his 50s when I was working there. He was, you know, twice as old as I was. And, and uh, um, if you... You know, if you wasted his time, it, it would, was a big mistake. I forget what was the question on that one. <laughs> well, what it, what it was like riding with him. Well, and then uh, so you, uh, I, oh, I remember being in the car a lot of times. A lot of times I would ride in the back, and his driver would be up front. Uh, there would be a guy on the staff whose title wasn't driver but was kind of, uh, uh, you know, personal staff gopher who would drive and do all kinds of errands and stuff for everybody on the staff, but then would drive him at night. And like I say, sometimes that would be me, but there would be somebody usually whose who's full-time job was really that. Because he would go to three or four receptions at a night, and then he would end up back at the Watergate, and sometimes with his car, sometimes not with his car, so uh, sometimes I'd pick him up on the way to work or something. And uh, uh, he... That was actually him at his, you know, that was like him at his best. I remember being in the car with him when we'd be going out of town, you know, to New York or L.A. or something. He loved to wait until the last possible minute um, to uh, <laughs> to get to the airport. And so we would almost not make it every time. And so, like, if he had a 4 o'clock flight and we're going to Cleveland or something, um, we'd leave the office, like, at 3.30. And uh, uh, and he loved it, and he'd be he'd be on the right side, and he'd be uh, go turn, get get this lane right here, uh, like that and stuff. And and uh, he'd always pat his hair down with his left hand, and I'd watch him. And a lot of times, I do remember sitting in the back seat, thinking, God, you know, 23 years old, and and that's Bob Dole sitting there. What the hell am I doing here? I mean, I really did feel, uh, I, you know. When you have a job and you're working 50, 60 hours a week, and, I mean, we really would work around the clock. I mean, you know, he was, especially those of us that weren't married and, you know, you know lived pretty close. 
uh, he, you know, he's really hard worker, really long worker, and and really seriously hard worker. Um, he didn't waste any time, but uh, so it'd be very long hours. But the the good part of it was that you kind of realized it was just such an incredible experience and just you know opportunity to to watch this guy and listen to him, and um, and he was fascinating and and very very funny almost all the time. Everything he said. Literally, almost everything he said that wasn't specifically related to a bill or policy or something like that was funny, and sometimes in a you know very acerbic way or something. But it was always witty and uh, some turn of words or something. I mean, you couldn't hardly say anything to him that he wouldn't come back with kind of a pun or something like that. And it was just consistent and incredible. I'll tell you one one story in the uh, nineteen. Uh, campaign of 1984 um, when uh, let me see when yeah Reagan beat Mondale for the uh, um, you know re-election campaign and Bush of course was vice president and so immediately there was a Bush Dole campaign going on and everybody was waiting for it and all that and uh, Dole was the you know, strongest possible opponent to the sitting vice president, uh, but Bush was in seemed to be in incredible shape the day after the election in 1984 because Reagan won so overwhelmingly and Bush was his vice president, and um, so there was a uh, everyone was writing about the Reagan mandate and what that meant to Dole was the Bush mandate that that Bush was the heir apparent, and uh, so we were, you know, at once Dole was wanting to get out there and say how great it was that Reagan won, but at the same time kind of trying to downplay it a little bit so that, you know, there'd be an opportunity for somebody else to challenge Bush and it wouldn't just be, you know, so powerful for four years that nobody could beat him. And so uh, we were writing to somewhere like Good Morning America or something like that. It was probably at 7 o'clock in the morning and I was in the back seat and uh, I had come up with this thought that um, everyone kept saying mandate, mandate, mandate. And I so I said to Senator Dole, you know, Senator maybe this wasn't so much a mandate, maybe it was a little bit more of a mandate. And, uh, um, and Dole didn't say anything. <laughs> and he just kind of, yeah, mandate. <clears throat> and so we got to Good Morning America, wherever it was. And uh, it, no, it had to be a Sunday show. It was probably David Brinkley. And Dole goes on, and he uses the line. And he said, you know, some people... Uh, talk about what a mandate this was, and, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was a little bit more of a mandate. And everybody kind of laughed and everything, and then, you know, that was it, and we all went home, and the next morning came in, and they would deliver time in Newsweek with, I don't know how they did it, but they would have Sunday news, and, and Monday morning in time in Newsweek every day. So so the next morning I go into Dole's office, and time in Newsweek were already out, and the papers and everything, and Dole was kind of... I think he was just sort of pimping me, but he said, uh, you know, they didn't use, didn't pick up your line, your mandate line. And I said, well, uh, Time Magazine actually had it. It was, it, was in, it was in Time. And he said, Newsweek, Newsweek didn't use it. <laughs> and, uh, um, I've never forgotten that, actually, that uh, uh, he could actually, it, it, he never gave an indication that he was kidding either, but. Um, but anyway, riding around with him was a lot of fun. I mean, there was another night I remember, 1980, probably 19, uh, late 1980, uh, or maybe it was 84. It was 84. Uh, he was really kind of, 84 was kind of a funny race for him because uh, he wasn't running. 
And in 80, he kind of ran. 76, before I came, he was, of course, on the ticket. 88, he ran. You know, uh, 92 was probably one of those where, yeah, how interested could you be because he, he couldn't run. Um, but uh, we were, but he really got into the uh, primaries. And so I remember, gosh, driving around from reception to reception. I think it was John Warner's house. He was at a reception at John Warner's house, and I was in the car. It was in Georgetown. And, and he could hardly leave the car because he was listening to the results from, I don't know, South Carolina or something like that, you know, and, and really, you know, getting into it. And he'd really talk about stuff like that when you're away from the work and away from the office. And he'd be really much more relaxed and a lot of fun, actually. So did you ever, when you were, the two of you were together uh, and maybe a loner with just one or two other people, did, did he shoot the breeze? A little bit. Uh, there were... Uh, Occasionally, you know, he'd have, uh, I think it was a martini with an onion, which is called a giblet or something like that. Or something. Um, he'd have one drink uh, somewhere, and uh, he was always, you know, a very disciplined guy, and, and I've never seen him have more than one. But that would loosen him up a little bit, because I think he drank so little that having one martini could loosen him up a little bit. And I think just the thought of not working and relaxing and stuff... But, uh, yeah, you know, when I was talking about those rides to the airport, I could literally see him relaxing just as soon as he left the Capitol. And uh, he'd be really kind of goofing around a little bit on the way to the airport. And then we'd get on the plane, and a lot of times it was a private jet, you know, which I got used to in my 20s. And, of course, we'll never have the experience of riding it again. Uh, but he uh, would, would just immediately fall asleep on a plane. Uh, and uh, um, could really relax, and then um, then he'd be right back at work, you know, when uh, uh, when you'd be at the events. But um, I, that remind me one one other little little story that you might not hear from anybody else. We were in South Dakota. I don't remember what year this was. Sometime in the '80s with Senator Larry Pressler, who I guess was running for reelection, and and uh, we were done, and we were flying. I don't know where we were flying to. But uh, it was nighttime, and, and uh, Dole had the pilot fly around Mount Rushmore with the lights and stuff and everything. And um, I remember one other time him waking me up, and we're flying into Denver or something like that. And I was flying, and he'd kind of wake me up, go, "Look at this," and uh, you know, see the lights at Denver and these private jets, you know, <laughs> stuff. And then there'd always be like limousines there to pick you up, and it was pretty. Uh, Memorable, you know, in terms of business trips, uh, especially, you know, now for the past 20 years, you know, I've had more standard experiences, <laughs> that, uh, you know, when, when you're not traveling with this chairman of the finance committee. <laughs> you, were, you were pinching yourself a lot of the time. You know, you? it's funny, less so than I should have, of course, because it was my first job I ever had straight out of college. I was working for Dole. And so uh, from 22 to 28, um, I was traveling with him a lot. And uh, uh, I, I didn't have anything to compare it to. I knew it was, yeah, I was. Uh, and I, I knew it was unusual and great experience. But, um, but I think I realized, you know, you realize it more, you know, later when you're not doing it anymore and you never will again. <laughs> so. what, were you sort of one of the chosen ones? You know, I don't know, really. I, I think I got along with Senator Dole very well, and we had a very casual relationship. Although, you know, I think I was a little bit of a hothead in my 20s. And uh, uh, one thing, Senator Dole's management style would set up uh, competitive groups. 
And uh, for instance, once you became chairman of the Finance Committee, it seemed to me that the uh, Finance Committee staff, which was primarily Ivy Leaguers and uh, East Coast, um, Harvard, you know, lawyers and stuff, and the Kansas group, which was kind of this uh, young, uh, ambitious guys from Wichita and Topeka and Johnson County and, you know, Garden City. Um, and uh, there was definitely a competition between the Finance Committee staff and uh, the Kansas operation. And uh, why, why was I talking about that? I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there. Well, but that's – I had asked you if you were the chosen one. Oh, um, Well, I think I, I, I don't know if I would be. I, there, I think there are people that I would say were more chosen ones than me in terms of uh, having a closer relationship to him than I did. I think I had a pretty close relationship and a pretty good relationship with Dole, actually. And I really liked him, you know, and uh, although I'd get really pissed off sometimes. I mean, really, you know, uh, at, at various things. And that's what I was going to get. I just, and, you know, I'd get. I, it's funny. I, I'm, I don't think I'm that way at all anymore. I think I'm pretty much laid back or maybe I am more internalized than I used to be. But um, but uh, I think uh, I would say Kim Wells, Mike Glasner, I could name people who were kind of closer to Dole than just about anybody else on the staff. I mean, certainly Joanne Coe, uh, you know, Bob Lighthizer. Um, there were people that had very close relationships with him. That, and, uh, and I think probably Mike Glasner, of all the people, uh, and, and re- actually Richard Norton Smith, had a very close relationship with Dole. Um, but, uh, but I think uh, I think I had a good relationship with him. I also was available because I wasn't, mar- you know, wasn't married. I was young. I, I, I could work around the clock. It didn't matter. And there were, there were a few people like that that were always available and, and should have been available because you know, I, I didn't have any other responsibility other than my job at the time. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you just to clarify here a little bit. So, so when you were on the staff, you were with, you say, the Kansas group, and that was in his own office. Yeah. Oh, when I say the Kansas people, what I mean is the uh, personal staff, where uh, his job is uh, senator from Kansas. Um, then there would then when he became chairman of the finance committee, he had a big you know f- committee staff. And generally in Congress, you know the, the committee staff is sort of a notch above personal staff because they're more specialists, and they'd be tax specialists and healthcare specialists, and, and uh, you know they're almost all lawyers or you know sometimes PhDs. Uh, and the personal staff, you know that can be you know anything from it just just some kid who started volunteering, you know, and, and just got on staff. And they, you know, and most of the people on the personal staff uh, didn't necessarily have graduate degrees or anything. We all went to state school, K-State, KU, something like that. And uh, I, I think that's probably pretty normal that the committee staff is sort of from the more elite schools and rich kids and, you know, nabobs. And <laughs> so, so did you have much contact with? Yeah, actually, I got to be friends with some of the people on on. Finance Committee. I mean, I think Bob Lighthizer is a terrific guy and really, really uh, top, top-notch, you know, political thinker and all that. And uh, uh, but, but there was just real competition between. Uh, and, and the other thing about the Finance Committee staff is they were new, and a lot of the the personal staff people had been around for a little bit longer, and and had a, some of them had a history with Dole that I didn't have, which would be their 
parents knew Dole, you know, because he had been in Congress since 1961. And uh, it wasn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily big, you know, children of the big money people, but they might have been children of longtime volunteers for Dole and, and, uh, or somebody whose parents cashed a new Dole when he was a kid, you know, stuff like that. So the, the relationship on the personal staff was a lot more personal, you know, than the uh, uh, the finance committee, which were people who didn't couldn't care less about Topeka or you know Wichita or anything like that, that wasn't their job. They were involved. You know, they were their job was to uh, deal with financial issues and you know more on more national scale. Uh, but you know, they would want to uh, naturally you know be the more influential element, and the personal staff would want to be more influential. And, and, and I think that Dole would use that to his advantage, that if you had the competition between these two staffs, they're both really working hard to get his attention and do a good job and all that. So, so describe the ambience of the personal staff while you were there. Um, it was kind of the, the fact that, you know, there was so little structure um, was uh, like I say, good and bad. I mean, I think it worked. It worked. I think it worked for Dole because he was so good. I mean, if that if that was what worked for him to be a great legislator, then then that was a good thing. He certainly did a good job for the people of Kansas. But the uh, um, but from a structural standpoint, I mean, it was pretty goofy. You know, in terms if you compare it to uh, like a military or or hierarchical or, or corporate structure, there wasn't any structure at all. I mean, sometimes there wouldn't be an administrative assistant. Sometimes there'd be an administrative assistant that had very little influence. Uh, and uh, and then there were the people who were there forever. Uh, Joanne Coe, who was very capable and really uh, tough administrator, uh, but she wasn't chief of staff. She'd be office manager or at one point called administrative director. And, but she was very influential with Dole, and everybody knew it, and she was always going to be there, and you weren't always going to be there. I mean, nobody else, you know, uh, people go to congressional staffs for two, three, four years. I was there six years. That was a long time. Um, so you're either there as a lifer or you were kind of there temporarily. And uh, um, the uh, so, you know, like sometimes there'd be staff meetings, for a few months, and then there wouldn't be staff meetings for a few years, and sometimes everybody on the staff would be in his office for a staff meeting, and um, it, so it was, you know, you didn't necessarily have anyone specific that you were reporting to sometimes, sometimes you did. Um, the, uh, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, either, you know, you kind of figured it out and navigated it and were of some value to him or you weren't, and then, uh, you know, that might mean that you were on the staff for a year with just wasting his time and your time and, you know, move on to something else. So, uh, this will probably be hard for you to do, but so let's say you get in on, in the morning on a typical day. What would okay. Um, my day was a lot of times long because I would come in uh, because Dole was on Good Morning America Today show so often. A lot of times Walt Riker and I would uh, meet early and go with him to NBC or, or ABC. And, and, I mean, that could be like 7 o'clock interviews. So, you, you know, you're getting to work at 6.30 in the morning. And then sometimes he would do Nightline and maybe the same night. And so Walt and I would have dinner together, and then we'd go over to the Watergate, get him, go to Nightline. Um, so it would be a pretty long day. But generally the hours were 8.30 to, uh, I think, 8.30 to 6.00. 
were the hours that you were supposed to be there, and you really were supposed to be there at eight thirty. And uh, that was uh, because it was seven thirty in Kansas, and uh, the farmers might start calling. You know, early they get up, and and Dole wanted to be sure that if a constituent wanted to get a hold of somebody when they were awake, there'd be somebody to get you know get a hold of. And uh, um, as when I was doing press, Walt and I generally met with Dole first thing in the morning, and uh, you know we might have pulled out some clips you know to look at or talk about, and we also then every morning we'd have uh, a list of press interviews. Uh, requests uh, people who want to talk to him about something. He almost never turned down any interview request, which was had to be very unusual. And one reason is because he could do so many things at one time. He could do it so quick, and he could do it with such little preparation after all those years, and he's such a quick study. And so we would have sometimes 20, 30 interview requests. It'd say, you know, Howard Feynman in Newsweek wants to talk about the Baker proposal. The next one would be KAKE wants a quick, you know, uh, minute with you about something, and it'd just be down the line. And so he'd go through them and he'd check them, and uh, uh, and then we would start lining up interviews for that day. Sometimes we'd have three cameras set up, like he'd say between two and three, I'll do interviews. And so we'd have CNN in uh, an ante room, and we'd have. Uh, NBC cameras set up in the finance committee room, and we'd have uh, a local, you know, ABC affiliate over here from Kansas set up. And he would literally just go from one interview and then walk into the next room, do that interview, walk into the next room, do that interview. Um, or he might give us uh, 30 minutes. Well, he'd do phone phoners, and uh, we'd have him on the on the line to uh, AP. And you'd have uh, Newsweek waiting. You'd have the Wichita Eagle waiting. And uh, and then as soon as this one was done, you'd line up whoever it is for this one, and he would just go from one to the other, and it'd be topic to topic to topic. And I, Walt and I have laughed about it since the amount. I mean, we weren't we were lining up the interviews and and talking to people and all that, but you know he he needed such little preparation. There'd be a lot of senators that there's no way that they could talk about you know, uh, tax policy here, and then an ag thing here, and then a uh, defense issue here, and then, you know, some bridge thing in Salina here, you know, and, but he could do each one, just do them, do them you know, easy. And he almost never screwed up anything, you know. <laughs> um, so that, that was pretty amazing. It, it almost made it kind of a unique experience, because there were probably a few members of Congress that other people would have similar experiences with, but I don't think... Very many, you know. Maybe Howard Baker was like that. I don't know, really, but not too many. Was it likely that you and and Walt would sometimes say, Senator, this is how we think you ought to play this, or were you sort of? A, uh, <laughs> you sounds like you were so. sort of assignment or schedulers. I think Walt got much more to that point after I left, and he was the majority leader, press secretary. But even then, to a lesser degree than you would with some, because, uh, like I said, when when I started, it was nineteen. Uh, you know, 79, so he was 56, and he'd already been nominated for vice president, you know, uh, three years before that. <laughs> he'd already been chairman of the RNC, he'd been in the House eight years, uh, and he's uh, brilliant. Um, so the idea that I would tell Dole when I was 25, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, you should really focus, you should concentrate more on this angle of that. It's just, it wasn't even within the realm of possibility. 
But, uh, um, but I think when he was majority leader, and, and the more actually he went up, maybe there's a little bit more of that. Now, like, I could see Bob Lighthizer, you know, having a policy discussion with him about maybe we should focus on this angle or that angle or something like that. But uh, even then, uh, you know, there was, I don't think there was enough... Dole wasn't sort of uh, the kind of guy that you would have like a give and take, like a brainstorming session or something like that with senior staff as much as probably uh, a lot of members of Congress would be who weren't as adept at the issues and weren't as experienced. I mean, his experience was just so overwhelming by the time I was there that, you know, these guys in their 20s and 30s, that wasn't what you were there to do. You were there to... Uh, find out what he wanted to do on something and then help him, you know, uh, communicate that or get it done. So what form would that uh, helping him take? Well, uh, I always felt like from a press standpoint, to be perfectly honest with you, I always felt like what I was there to do was to try to make sure that the people of Kansas knew what he was doing and he was always doing something and he was really always trying to do something for Kansas and that he was in the best possible position to run for president if that ever, uh, if the opportunity ever arose. And so, to tell you the truth, I always felt like um, what I was trying to do was get him as many opportunities to get in front of the public as possible, which means, you know, every interview that made any sense, get it in front of him, and if he had time to do it, he would do it. Um, Every time he could be on David Brinkley, every time he could be on Nightline, you know, get him out in front. Because, and, you know, you, you also, it was a very rare situation where you had, uh, uh, your, the, I don't know if it, now I would kind of call it talent, but the uh, person that, you know, the front man uh, could talk about anything and, uh, you know, always had something to say. And when he, had, when he was asked a question, his opinion was really important because of his committee assignments and because of the influence he had among the other members of Congress. It really was news. If Dole thought anything, it was actually news. You know, it was important to the president, whoever it was, whether it was Clinton or Carter or Reagan or Bush. Did he have some uh, favorite news people? That's a tough one. He he actually had a he had, he was like a favorite of the news media because he was so funny. And because of what I just said, because what he said actually was important. And also, he understood the media so well, you know, he could give them something. Sometimes it got him into trouble, you know, that he would say something too uh, clever, you know, and he couldn't help himself because he, he was so clever, and they loved it. And, of course, but at the same time, uh, he always had a, a slight sense of uh, an adversarial relationship with the press, Um and he was he was always circumspect of I think almost every member of the media. Um, he was I think the guys that he trusted the most were the ones that he knew the longest, like David Brinkley, um, Roger Mudd. You know I, I don't know specifically what he thought of Roger Mudd, but I know uh, that he. Uh, you know I think he would be very comfortable around those guys who were more his age. He'd been around for a long time. Uh, he knew exactly what to expect from him because he'd been interviewed by them thousands of times over 20 years. Um, but I think, like, young reporter they didn't know as well from Kansas City or Wichita, um, he would be very careful, you know, uh, if, you know, if there was a story that he felt like he was not being treated fairly, 
uh, he, he wouldn't want to talk to that reporter ever again, although he would eventually, but he would really, he, he could get pretty angry, you know, especially the Kansas reporters that I, I think he felt like, you know, come on, I'm, I'm out here working for you guys, don't, don't attack me. And, uh, and the reporter was thinking, I'm not working for you, I'm working for them, you know. And so uh, as a press person, you're kind of in the middle because um, I wanted to have a good relationship with the reporters uh, so that they would maybe do stuff that we, you know, suggested. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, I was definitely working for Dole, so. So you were kind of a gatekeeper there a little bit, too. Oh, right? yeah. And I think uh, everybody on the staff, in a lot of ways, was a gatekeeper. I mean, whatever your area was, if you were the healthcare person, um, yeah, you were the conduit between the healthcare industry in Kansas and nationally and, and Dole. And uh, uh, if you were a press person, you were in between Dole and the media. Did you have any real hot, memorable uh, experiences as that, that interface? Uh, there was one story, actually, that you probably would hear from Walt also. <laughs> I'd been on the staff about three years when Walt came on, and um, Walt was really aggressive and really smart, And uh, uh, but he was coming from Topeka. And he grew up in New York City, but he went to KU, and, and he, he had covered the State House in Topeka, and all of a sudden he's in Washington working for this, you know, really powerful, rising, you know, uh, senator. And... Uh, and we really hit it off, and we had a good time working together. But we were just, like, super aggressive, uh, which I think, you know, was appropriate to working for Dole. But um, <laughs> we kind of came up, we realized at one point, even uh, when he was chairman of the Finance Committee, that, you know, the idea that everything he said was actual news. And you could have a press conference with... I don't know how many people were doing this at the time, but when when Dole would have a press conference, we wouldn't just call the uh, major you know media outlets and major congressional people covering Congress and, and Kansas reporters. We'd call everybody. We we literally would call every single uh, media outlet uh, you know in Hudson's directory, and then we started calling uh, law firms and lobbyist groups and stuff like that. And we would just pack the finance committee uh, room to the point that he would come out to make a statement, and there'd be 14 cameras, and the whole room, people would be lined up outside. And uh, the first couple of times we did it, um, we started you know, calling law firms and everybody. We'd say, Dole's having a press conference at 3 o'clock, talk about you know, income tax policy. And they'd go, oh, okay, thanks. And then they'd, they'd rush over, and then it became just, we did it every time. And, and uh, so there was one day we were in on a, we were always there on a Saturday, and he was meeting with some people from the ag committee because there was there was a drought in Kansas. There's always either a drought or it's either really rainy or there's a drought. And this was a particularly dry summer, and it was you know a serious issue, but not really a national issue. It was, it was an issue in a few counties in western Kansas, and. Uh, and so we called everybody. He, he said, you know, let's, we'll talk to the press afterwards. But I think, you know, he was thinking the Kansas press. And so we called everybody. And uh, so he walked out, and, we, and these poor guys from the uh, Ag Department walked out, and there were, you know, 200 people. In the, and they had nothing to say. There was nothing to announce. They just had met about the drought. That's all they were going to say. And afterwards, he walked past uh, Walt and me, and he said, uh, 
I don't want any more turkeys like that one. And uh, so we kind of pulled back a little bit. <laughs> Another time, I'll tell you. Um, we had, uh, on the 4th of July, it would have been probably in 1983 or something like that, was when uh, James Watt was Secretary of Interior. And uh, he said that, uh, you know, the White House was going to disinvite the Beach Boys to uh, play at, uh, on the mall for the 4th of July. And they'd been doing this year after year after year. And uh, it was such a... And Dole really didn't like James Watt because uh, he had kind of embarrassed the administration a couple of times before, which is kind of uh, stupid comments, really. <laughs> and um, so he, he wasn't a big fan of James Watt. And this was particularly embarrassing. It just kind of uh, like the Beach Boys. I mean, it wasn't like, you know... Uh, uh, the Rolling Stones, who I actually, who I like also. But, I mean, you know, it was America's band and all this. And as a matter of fact, I, I think the Beach Boys had endorsed Reagan or something. I mean, they were like, you know, they they had the rock and roll drug problems and everything, but they were about as clean cut as you could get to be that massive of stars. And so that morning, after Watt had been on Nightline, uh, Walt and I went in, and Walt and I were also Beach Boy fans, <laughs> and uh, Dole said, God, what what say now? It was a thing with the Beach Boys, and we said, Senator, you should understand the Beach Boys are very mainstream rock and roll. You know, it's it's embarrassing for uh, uh, Republicans to attack the Beach Boys. Uh, and uh, he said, Well, why don't you write up a statement? And so we wrote up a statement, and we said uh, James Watt should moonwalk off a long ledge or something, all this weird, crazy stuff, and Dole just said, okay, and it was just, like, really strong, and <laughs> and uh, so we put the statement out, and it got picked up on the wire, and later that day, we got a phone call from Mike Love, who's the lead singer of the Beach Boys, and it turns out that uh, that Brian Wilson's father was originally from Hutchinson, Kansas. And we didn't know that. We didn't realize there was this Kansas connection with the Beach Boys. That would have been Mike Love's uncle. And so there was family uh, with the Beach Boys. And so Mike Love started saying, let's figure out something we can do, you know. And so we were talking about maybe having the Beach Boys come out and play Fourth of July in Kansas. And, you know, we couldn't really put it together. We were promoters and we didn't have any money or anything. But Mike Love got really interested in doing something with Dole. And so, uh, so we put together a press conference where Mike Love and Dole were gonna were gonna come out and and say, yeah, I don't you know again nothing really specific, but um, so that day, I and that one we didn't tell the national press because a lot of times they'd say why are you bugging us with this Kansas stuff and so we thought this was a Kansas story, and so we didn't that was kind of stupid on on our part probably but we didn't really promote that to the national press, and so. I'm standing out in front of the Capitol with our staff, and we're waiting for Mike Love to show up. And, and I had the Kansas press out there, you know, two or three cameras and the Wichita Eagle and stuff. And a limousine pulls up, and it's Mike Love, and he gets out. And uh, I said, okay, I'll go get Senator Dole. So I go to the Senate floor, and Dole gets Howard Baker, who was the majority leader at the time, who also had had it with James Watt, I think. And so Howard Baker and Dole come out with Mike Love, and I literally had the National Press Corps just run past me. And, and I remember Britt Hume saying, why the hell didn't you tell us about this? And I, said, and I said, because half the time I'll tell you something, you don't want to do it. And rush out there, and there was this huge press conference with uh, Mike Love and Dole and Howard Baker, and they, they didn't really have anything to say in particular. <laughs> um, 
Describe how uh, Kansas interests uh, were represented in the staff and how it played with other issues and constituents. Well, man, I tell you, Dole uh, never, never for a second, you know, uh, forgot or uh, uh, got away from, you know, representing Kansas. One advantage he had is that he was able to kind of do two jobs at once, probably much better than, you know, most people, well, obviously better than most people could do. So he uh, he really wanted to keep up on what was happening in Kansas, and and he had run so many times in Kansas and had represented Kansas for so long, and he, and he had traveled around the state so much. You know, he knew you could go into any little town, and he would say hi by name, as you'll hear this from everybody, to uh, uh, hundreds of people in every town, and would know his way around, and, um, and uh, always made an effort to really keep up with what was going on in Kansas. Um, and so there'd be legislative assistants that would handle uh, energy, uh, financial issues like banking, um, agriculture, and so on. And uh, it was their job to keep in touch with, you know, the organizations, Kansas Bankers Association, various agriculture groups, chambers, things like that. Um, and uh, uh, really keep in touch with Kansas. And then in, the, and then in Kansas, he had offices in uh, Topeka, Wichita, Kansas City. And at the time, Kim Wells uh, oversaw uh, all the Kansas offices. And then uh, there was a bus that would travel western Kansas. And, uh, um, and then the other thing he did, which was really smart, which is what got me in, into the office, a really big internship program. And so, like, the summer that I interned in 1978, I think there might have been as many as 48 interns from around the state because um, I think there were four groups at 12 over the course of the summer. And then they'd have a few interns, you know, uh, spring and fall semester, maybe somebody going to Georgetown or from Kansas, something like that. Uh, so you'd have as many as 50 interns, you know, over the course of a year, year in, year out. And these would be both in the local offices and in Washington? I'm just talking about Washington, yeah, just Washington. There was room in his offices for 50? Well, there'd be 12 at a time over the summer. There might be one or two that would be there all summer. Uh, and then, uh, But also, in, you know, in the summer, um, there's less activity in Congress, and, and uh, so it's a little less crowded and, and uh, uh, you know, packed with just people running in and out. But uh, I was, like, in an annex office, and so there wouldn't be 12 people thrown into, you know, the, the packed offices. But there was a big room in back where, you know, people just would kind of pack themselves in and, you know, have two or three people at a desk or something. But, but you know, that, that gets you a lot of Kansas, you know, in the office and stuff. And the staff itself was really heavily Kansas. Uh, there were, like I said, there were two or three people who worked for him from his house days all the way through that, that weren't from Kansas, but, boy, they knew Kansas because, you know, they'd worked for him for so long. And then, you know, there'd just be tons of people from just all over the state who uh, would end up at one time or another working on the staff. While you were with him, I think I've got this right, uh, TV was introduced in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, I, you know... I left in 85. And that happened in 85, so maybe... I was going to say, I don't think so. However, CNN was introduced, cable TV was introduced, and, and that was a huge, huge thing. Uh, Ted Turner, really genius move. He made, even though Washington, D.C. didn't have uh, CNN, he had it somehow, you know, uh, 
satellited into the Capitol for free. And so I don't know how many people were really watching CNN at the time, but it got really important in the congressional offices, and everybody would watch it 24 hours a day. And Ted Turner was there. It seemed like he was there once a week talking to somebody, you know, and he was just always around. And uh, the CNN reporters real quickly vaulted into almost equal status with CBS, NBC, and ABC news reporters. And, uh, um, you know, it was a really, really big deal. But that, so that 24-hour news cycle started when I was there. We still cared about, you know, the 6.30 news a lot. And uh, so you'd still have press conferences that were timed to give the network uh, congressional correspondents time to get back, file the story, get on 630 News, and we'd all watch and be flipping from rather to, you know, broke out as Jennings and stuff. And, uh, but CNN was, was on the rest of the day, you know, in the office. But I think, uh, I think maybe I left around the time that um, I started, uh, you know, TV actually in the Senate. But as a media person, what, what are your observations about uh, the Senate and, and the media? You know, I, and I've thought about that, and now it seems it's institutional that it's there, you know. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really have any—I don't think I have anything to offer on that because I just wasn't there before. Uh, the, the Senate press gallery was a really important element to everything, and— and I think having TV in the Senate may have changed that a little bit because you would go, you know, hold press conferences up in the Senate press gallery. And um, I think now probably people use, you know, the floor uh, in a different way. You know, it was probably more, it was actually probably more lawmaking then than now, I'm guessing. But I, I'm probably not the right person to ask on that. Um. While you were there, a number of big issues uh, came up, like uh, tax bills and uh, um, Social Security and so forth. Do you, as the press person, do you have any observations on that, how, how it was played in the press from Dole's standpoint? Yeah, a couple of issues. One was um, the underground economy and withholding on... Uh, <laughs> um, Well, it mandated that I think banks with, would, uh, I can't remember exactly what the issue was, but it was um, had to do with withholding on your paycheck. And uh, uh, it was so controversial. And Dole really staked out a pretty, uh, sorry, I'm doing that a pretty uh, um, strong position on this because it was, it was, Dole is the anti-supply sider and the real uh, anti-deficit Republican, the old standard Eisenhower, you know, type Republican. Um, and uh, uh, the bankers got so angry. I mean, I remember going, you know, to speeches with Dole in front of banking groups. There was no applause and stuff. I mean, it was really, really tough and, and, and strong. And he stuck to his guns and, and uh, really staked out a position that... Uh, you know, if we're going to have these tax policies, you know, we need to make sure that we're getting our taxes. And uh, um, Social Security was another one that I, I do remember because he and uh, uh, Senator Moynihan from New York really worked together. Um, I don't know what year that would have been, early 80s, to uh, come up with a, uh, 
a plan that at the time was looked at a plan to save Social Security. And uh, Dole really liked Moynihan, really respected him, and uh, they had a really close working relationship. And I think that was one of the things I think really maybe that Dole was the proudest of was working out this compromise with the Democrats between the Reagan White House and the, and the Democrats in Congress to uh, shore up Social Security at the time. And I think there was a real crisis pending. And uh, that was one of those issues that helped establish Dole as a consensus maker. And uh, he was a great legislative thinker up until the early 80s. But once he became chairman of the Finance Committee and in a real power position, that's when it really you know, sort of came together for him that he could show what a great conciliator he was and, and uh, somebody who could actually get things done, you know, as opposed to um, just talking about it and staking out wild positions or something like that. Um, I mean, it, and uh, on the other hand, that also kind of pegged him as somebody who didn't have uh, really strong positions. Uh, and uh, um, it was uh, that that's why people say, you know, he didn't have the vision, I think, is because his vision was finding ways to bring people together to actually get laws passed that would move in the right direction and do things. And I mean, he, he was very uh, um, goal-oriented, and uh, in some ways that kind of runs counter to somebody who might be super ideological and not really so caring so much about whether it happens or not. And that's why he was so helpful to Reagan and, and Bush, and you know, um, because he was somebody they could rely on back on Capitol Hill to actually get things done and passed and you know, get to the White House to be signed. Were you witness to uh, much about his relationship with Reagan and then with Bush? I'd, I was at the White House with him, but not in meetings. You know, I'd be in the lobby waiting for him. <laughs> but uh, he had, uh, I was with Nixon um, in, just in one little instance. Um, in 1985, uh, Dole went to, I think it was Moscow, for some kind of meetings um, early in 1985 or spring of 1985. And uh, while he was gone, the Senate Press Secretaries Association, I thought I turned that off, sorry, had a, scheduled a trip to New York, and uh, we met with ABC, NBC, New York Times, and all that. But they scheduled a meeting with Nixon. And uh, it was shortly before he was going to go uh, speak to the Time editorial board. And it had to do with, uh, you know, changing uh, Soviet Union and Gorbachev and all this stuff. And I think he had met with Gorbachev recently. And so we were only supposed to meet with him for 20 minutes, and there were only like 12 of us. Uh, but he ended up kind of using us as a rehearsal for this time, I think it was time, editorial board meeting. And so we got to listen to him for like two hours uh, and just in a small room. And at one point during the, toward the end of it, he said, I, I understand one of you works for Senator Dole. And I said, yeah, I do. And, and this was also leading up, it was 85, and it was already leading up to the Bush-Dole 88 you know, uh, campaign. And uh, he said, well, you know, you should know Senator Dole's the smartest member of Congress, the most effective. And he was saying all this stuff very clearly uh, that he wanted me to take back to Dole. And the problem was um, I hadn't told Dole I had left Washington to go to New York because uh, Walt was with him in Moscow. And so I should have been in the office, you know. And back then we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have, 
you know, email. <laughs> and so I had snuck out. And we had an assistant, and she was calling me all the time and all that. And I thought I had it covered, but I just couldn't pass up this trip. And I wanted to meet Nixon and stuff. And so I, so I, I had a problem that I, when Dole got back just a few days later, I knew I had to tell him what Nixon had said. And at the same time, I wasn't real excited about telling him that I hadn't been in the office when he was in Moscow. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so I went in you know, the next morning after he got back, and I, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I just said, Senator, while you were gone, uh, the Senate press secretary went to New York, and we had a meeting with uh, President Nixon, and he had a lot of interesting things to say about you. And I said it as quickly as I could so I could get to that part. <laughs> and uh, he said... Oh, really? What did he say? And so I told him, and it was all this really flattering stuff that Nixon obviously wanted to get out that uh, kind of bestowed upon Dole the brainy stuff of Nixon, uh, which was the good, the stuff everybody actually liked about Nixon, even at the time, was no matter what you thought about him, he was one smart son of a bitch. And uh, so was Dole, and that's what he wanted to say. And I don't know why what his deal was with Bush or whatever, or whether he was saying, you know, I'm not somebody who anybody would want to have endorsed, but I sure like Dole, you know. And so he, uh, Dole looked at me and said, can you type that up? Type up what he said. So I typed it up as a memo to Senator Dole. Just, we met with Nixon, and he had these points to make and everything. And, and he went and uh, took it with him back to the cloakroom, I think, and kind of showed it around and everything. Um, and I also had an opportunity one time. We flew to Lawrence uh, for one day. He gave a speech at KU, and we flew back that day. And on the flight back, we were on a private plane. And uh, so I was going to be on uh, for about three hours, you know, flying halfway across the country back to Washington. And, you know, it was just Dole, me, and another staff member. And so I, I said, hey, Senator Dole, you know, we got three hours here, and we're eating dinner and stuff. Do you mind if I ask you some questions about people? And he had nowhere to go. He couldn't get out. You know, I really had him trapped. And so I asked him specifically about, you know, Eisenhower and Carter and Nixon and Ford and, and Bush. And it was really, that was a great, great night for me, really. But he talked about how much he really admired Nixon's political skills. And uh, they had a very personal relationship. And uh, Nixon isn't a guy, I think, that had a real personal relationship with very many people. And, uh, um, but he really saw Dole as uh, somebody with a real future. And, uh, and I think he mentored him a little bit, at least in the sense that he was so brilliant politically uh, that Dole really learned a lot from him. And, and if you look at, Dole, at Nixon's you know, uh, his his real positions that he took, uh, they weren't unlike probably what a President Dole would have been, you know. I mean, Nixon was pretty uh, middle of the road um, in the sense that he wasn't really, he wasn't a right-winger, um, he wasn't really a left-winger, but in some ways he was maybe a little bit of both. And uh, um, But uh, as far as his relationship with Bush, I actually... I've always maintained that it was actually pretty close and pretty good. I mean, uh, Richard Ben Kramer has you know his classic book, great, great book called "What It Takes," that that is ends up being primarily about the relationship between Dole and Bush. And uh, my take on Dole and Bush has always been they were the same age, they had the same a lot of the same experiences, they were very similar politically, uh, but they couldn't have come from more different backgrounds. And then they go to World War II, where Bush is you know. Uh, 
the decorated, heroic, youngest pilot in history, and you know, literally, you know, uh, filmed uh, in his moment of uh, heroism, gets out and he's fine physically, and then you know, Dole um, comes from nothing and gets out there and he ends up uh, being lieutenant over all these uh, guys like Bush from Princeton and Harvard and Yale and stuff. But Dole was the commander of the 10th Mountain Division, you know, in Italy, because, you know, uh, which is amazing. I mean, he was halfway through KU. Uh, and uh, very, you know, then they get into politics at the same time. Nixon and Ford kind of identify both of these guys as the rising star, and they end up, you know, coming against each other in, got 88. Well, even before that, 76, Dole got the nod in 88. Bush did, and, you know, and so on. Um, and I do think there was real, real competition. And in 88, it got really, really hot. But, um, but actually, I always kind of thought they respected each other. They kind of liked each other in private. Um, Dole really was very supportive and helpful of President Bush, you know. And uh, I, I do remember one time he had Betty call in 1979 to have me come over and get a photo taken with Vice President Bush. That'd be 79. Uh, I guess he wasn't vice president yet. And, uh, I, and I, I, wasn't, I was off running an errand or something I didn't get to. But, but I thought the fact that he would call a young staff person to come over and have their picture taken with Bush, I never bought that they hated each other. Mm-hmm. We've come to the end of this tape, so okay. I'm going to take a break here. Any- All right. Um, I want you to uh, contrast Dole as as a senator and Dole as a campaigner because you saw him in both those places. Um, You know, as a senator, he uh, would be extremely, he could be extremely studious on uh, especially things like tax policy, which were very complicated and uh, um, and uh, you know, where you, you're having meetings with senators and, and it's much more internalized and behind the scenes. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with your relationship with s- senators. So it only matters. Uh, there are only 99 people that matter, or less, you know, 12 or something that really matter on, on any given issue. One thing that he was so good at, and the reason he was such a great majority leader and uh, legislator was because senators really trusted him. And uh, they, they trusted him both in terms that he knew what he was talking about and that uh, if he told him something, you know, it was real. You could really trust, you could really depend on him. And um, that's just a really different uh, attribute than being a great campaigner, you know. And uh, he obviously was a great campaigner also. Um, I remember a lot of times being in a big crowd in like at a pancake feed or something like that. And uh, he was much more able to small talk in a big group with um, people maybe he didn't really know all that well than he would in private unless it was a business situation. He really, uh, you know, he's definitely not a small talker. And uh, um, not to, you know, he just had no interest at all in, in sitting around gabbing or, you know, joking around. If, when he was... Uh, doing that, it was on the way somewhere, or uh, you know, or <laughs> be, or I wasn't there. I mean, it could be that he and Elizabeth and you know 
uh, some friends at dinner, you know, in small talk, but I kind of doubt it, to tell you the truth. Um, but uh, in, in a campaign situation, he, you know, he would be very brief. I mean, basically, he'd be like, hey, how you doing? Hey, way to go. It just, it'd be, that'd be about the extent of it. Um, but uh, great, great campaigner. I think he didn't get enough credit for being a good public speaker because he's not a, not a particularly good reader. And very, very few politicians are. I think there's almost none that I can think of. Clinton was great and Reagan was great. Uh, even Nixon was okay at reading. Uh, that's why, you know, Nixon eventually dropped having text all together and just spoke extemporaneously, kind of. I mean, kind of memorize it. Uh, Carter, terrible. You know, I mean, you just go through them, George W. Bush, George Bush. Uh, but there's a few politicians like Clinton and Reagan who are both great off the cuff in reading. In fact, those would be the only two, well, plus Kennedy in my lifetime, those would be the only ones that I can think of. Um, there are guys like Nelson Rockefeller who are really great off the cuff, and Dole was more in that category, I think. Um, uh, but he, uh, man, I don't know how many speeches that guy's given where he just went in. Uh, sometimes he'd have notes, and a lot of times he'd read a page here, a page there, and then. but most of the time he was really speaking off the top of his head. And he had some stories down. He had a couple of jokes, really good stories, really funny. Uh, one thing about him as a campaigner, he had to be, I, I, I got to think really he was probably the funniest politician. He might have been, he might be, well, maybe Ben Franklin, you know, <laughs> would be right up there with him among all uh, American politicians to be truly, really funny. Um, he, I was with him one time in Washington. Uh, we went to like some hotel, and he kind of runs in, gives his speech, and runs out. And that day, usually he would go in and he would tell a few jokes, and then he would talk about whatever issue this group was particularly interested in and what's happening in Congress about that right then. And then he would end with the joke and leave. This this time we went in and he just joke after joke after joke uh, to the point they were. Like crying, I mean, standing and screaming and laughing really, really hard. And uh, I've always been kind of interested in uh, comedy. And I, we got in the car, and I said, "Hey, Senator, I got to ask you, how how much have you worked in, on comedy timing?" And he was quiet for a second. He said, "A lot." And uh, he said, "You know, he realized early. He always knew he was funny. He's always been a real funny guy, but he." He knew that uh, if you wanted to get people's attention, I mean, really, to be funny. But he's, he got to the point where he was like a, a comedian. I mean, he really was like a comedian in, in terms of timing and uh, uh, just the humor. And Well, I mean, you've, you've seen him on Letterman or something like that, you can see. And, and yet, still today, he's 84 years old, I still have people say, boy, if people had known Dole was funny... You know, he really would have, he would have been president. Uh, and his problem was that, you know, his handlers and others and, and everybody was always saying he was too funny and that he was going to get himself in trouble. And so they'd try to, when it really got up, you know, to presidential politics, they'd kind of pull him back and, and, and uh, probably, you know, I mean, that's easy to say now, but, you know, probably he probably would have been better off if he had just let himself be funny. And, uh, uh uh, of course, I mean, the guy got nominated for president and only lost by 7% and, and was on the national ticket twice. So, 
you know, how well can you do, really? <laughs> I'm going to pause here just for a second. Two offices, and the other guy had not much. And uh, so we would have one person traveling with Dole, one person one day ahead, and then the other person uh, looping back around, you know, uh, so there, there were these three advanced people that would be, he'd be dropping off with one, and there'd be two at a time. And, uh, and we'd, you know, start off with a pancake feed in a small town, and then go to uh, a luncheon in another town, and then go to uh, an afternoon event in another town, then a football game, and then he'd get dropped off at a motel a lot of times with Elizabeth, who uh, wouldn't be at the campaign events that year. A lot of times she would literally stay in the car sometimes. Sometimes she'd get out and sometimes she wouldn't. Um, and they would, uh, I think the, that was the summer that the Kansas City Royals were in the World Series, and so, you know, there would be nighttime events because people would be watching the World Series. And so he he and Elizabeth would actually watch the World Series in a motel somewhere, you know, some hoxie or something like that. Um, but the more events, the better for him. And any time there was a downtime, you better have something to do because the last thing he wanted to do was, like, sit in a campaign office for an hour waiting for something to do. You know, he just that Nobody wanted that. <laughs> and I remember one time in Topeka... Um, we had a couple of hours, like one afternoon, there was just nothing going on. I don't know why. We were in between something. And I knew that Johnny Cash was uh, uh, going to play that night at the, like, I think the Shawnee County Fair or something like that. <laughs> Topeka, Topeka Fair or something. And uh, he said, uh, well, let's go, let's go meet him. And I thought, God, great. So uh, we got in a car, and I, I don't know how I had any idea where to go. We, we drove... Went to the campgrounds and they kind of waved us in because it was you know, Dole's waving, and we got to the campgrounds and we hadn't really set up anything to meet Johnny Cash, but we just got there and, and I guess I asked somebody, "Can you go get Johnny Cash?" <laughs> and so I just remember Johnny Cash walking up. We were backstage and it was outside, and here comes Johnny Cash, and and uh, they stood and talked, and I got to meet Johnny Cash, and but it, we didn't we hadn't called the media. And you know there was it really wasn't a campaign event, but it gave Dole something to do, and uh, and so then we got in the car and went off somewhere where he was probably giving a speech that night. But um, but he just wanted to be on the move all the time, no waste of time. I, mean, I, I went with him to New Hampshire, you know, and I went with him a lot of times to campaign for other people, and uh, he just wanted to be on the move constantly, and uh, every minute needed to you know be of some value. Uh, even if it was a lunch somewhere, it would be with somebody, you know, that could lead to something or, you know, but there was no waste of time. Have you ever conjectured why that was, that he had to be in motion all the time? I, I actually think it was because, well, for one thing, he loved it, just absolutely loved it. I mean, he loved every, I think he loved just about everything except for, like, the 1980 presidential campaign wasn't any fun for him. Um, he had, he kind of had to go through that. I guess, to uh, get to where he was in 88. And uh, in 88, where he was, was virtually, you know, tied for the nomination. Uh, that's a long way from where he was in 1980. Um, 76, you know, he really got really unfairly saddled with, you know, uh, helping Ford lose when, in fact, you know, they, they went from way down to almost tying, you know, and almost winning. Um, but... You know, uh, eighty. He just he wasn't very popular nationally, and 
and Iowa is a place he should have done well. He didn't do well at all. New Hampshire didn't do well at all, and so he dropped out. He was apparently really considering not running for re-election that year in Kansas. But it was, you know, ironically, and then Reagan won, and Dole all of a sudden was chairman of the Finance Committee. And uh, from then on, you know, he was just, uh, that's where he could really shine. I will tell you, though, um, has anyone talked about uh, his health problems in January of 81, right after, uh, when, um, so the 1980 election was very important, you know, in Dole's career, and uh, uh, he got called that night from Howard Baker in Topeka, and Baker said, you're, chairman, you're going to be chairman of the Finance Committee. Huge, huge deal. And, uh, but then uh, during the holidays, or maybe in January, right yeah, right around Reagan's inauguration, um, Dole had a kidney problem, and he only has one kidney, and it was really, really critical. And uh, so he went to Walter Reed uh, Hospital and was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and, and really was just thrown for a loop, couldn't work. Um, he started, uh, and I was one of the people who would deliver memos and stuff, and so I was there quite a bit. And uh, he was actually reading novels and things like that, which is very unlike Dole, only because he just never had time to read novels otherwise. He had two or three books going at a time. And he got, after a while, he kind of got real relaxed and, and uh, kind of laid back. Um, but as soon as he could come back to work, he was supposed to come back kind of on a part-time basis. But, of course, as soon as he got back, he was working his regular hours, you know, 12, 14 hours, days, and he would be so tired at the end of the day he couldn't speak, and uh, he looked like he was going to just die. And uh, somehow he worked through that and uh, got past it and started feeling better. I, I, but I, I really think that's one story of his life that I don't think has been written about much, but, I mean, I think he really almost died and then he almost killed himself, you know, trying to get back into the swing of things because it was such an important period. And he felt such responsibility to Reagan to be the chairman of the Finance Committee and, and, and Howard Baker and stuff. Uh, that, and he also, this was his great opportunity to really vault, you know, in, in one step up from where he had always been or where he had been before. And he really did it and did a great job. But, uh, um, but that, that was a pretty uh, spooky little period, really. Your, your, your comment about the importance of his being the finance uh, chair um, prompts me to ask this question. Um, do, would it be appropriate in your mind to think that, that what he did in that position vis-a-vis Reagan and Reagan's views on tax policy and mm-hmm. so forth was, was really heroic? He, uh, it's funny... Um, Dole somehow managed to please the White House as chairman of the Finance Committee and also make it clear that he wasn't a supply-sider with the media. And uh, um, I'm not really sure how how the hell he did that. (laughs) You know, I look at it now. Um, But he, I think Reagan really depended on him, and then the White House really depended on him. Fred McClure was the uh, congressional, uh, well, actually, that was under Bush, um, but the White House used, you know, Dole's office a lot for, I mean, and uh, in him, you know, to further you know, all kinds of financial uh, legislation. But at the same time, I mean, he really uh, stood his ground that uh, the deficit, you know, should not increase. 
and uh, it seems counter to what Reagan was doing, but it also, you know, gave Dole an opportunity to show that he was his own man, and probably Reagan realized Dole had to do that, you know, and uh, so they gave him that a little bit, I guess, you know, uh, I, but uh, I do think there were times, I know that there were times that uh, John Sununu, who was chief of staff, got really upset with Dole, and, uh, you know, they'd have it out a little bit, and, but, you know, Dole, uh, he he wouldn't uh, back down from a fight, and so, you know, I, I think he also knew well, where are they going to go, you know, what are they going to do, um, and he liked Reagan. I think he actually liked Reagan and really, really admired Reagan. I mean, he really thought Reagan was a great politician, and that probably, sorry, that probably came through with Reagan personally, but I think, you know, the Reagan thing, I, I don't, I'm not an expert on Reagan, and I wasn't around him, but I think uh, his administration is a little different, you know, than the other presidents that Dole dealt with because Reagan was, uh, I don't know, somehow kind of above politics and Congress and the staff, the White House staff and everything. And uh, other presidents, I think maybe Dole maybe had a more collegial relationship with, I would guess. Back to um, the canvas um, campaign, just for one other question. Um, did he give sort of the same speech everywhere, or I sort of got the impression that maybe because of his sense of humor and his sort of reflecting off what was in front of him, it might have varied it I, unusually. I think uh, he wouldn't be the kind of politician who would give literally the same speech every time, although I think like in 76 he kind of had to when he was vice presidential nominee. Um, but uh, you know, especially going into like a small town and it's, uh, uh, you know, they're eating and, you know, he's joking around with them and stuff. And uh, Kansas was also different. He had a real personal uh, relationship with a lot of people that he'd be talking to out there. Now, sometimes Dole would start talking about S1213 or something, and I just couldn't believe it. I was thinking, well, nobody even knows what you're talking Nobody knows what s anything means, you know, and he would get off on that sometimes, but, but, you know, a lot of times, uh, there were times during that 1980 campaign, I actually remember we were in this little tiny town somewhere, I don't know what town it was, you know, maybe Phillipsburg or something out in western Kansas, and Elizabeth was there, and we drove in, and uh, it was like this little diner or something, or a steakhouse or something, and everybody in town was there. I mean, literally, had to be everybody in town. And he walked in, and uh, he uh, he just completely broke down and, and was just crying. And uh, Elizabeth, and I think it was maybe because Elizabeth was with him, and there was something real emotional about it. And, of course, you know, in other places, he wouldn't have that. <laughs> you know, like if we'd be in uh, Philadelphia and he's speaking... You wouldn't have the emotional stuff that he had in Kansas, and he's a very, very emotional guy. You know. Any other instances of his showing himself as an emotional guy that you were witness to? Yeah, uh, one time, uh, an old friend of his, and when you say old friend with Dole, it generally means Russell. I think uh, he has a totally different relationship with Russell than in anybody or anywhere else. Uh, because those are the people that knew Bob, you know, before he was uh, famous and powerful and all that, and injured. Um, but uh, there was somebody from Russell who died 
And this was on a Saturday. And when Dole had a eulogy or something like that, that uh, he wanted to prepare, he would always ask uh, Richard Smith, you know, to do it. And somehow, uh, even though Richard wasn't from Kansas, didn't know the person or whatever, uh, they have some kind of a simpatico thing where, you know, Dole could tell Richard what this was about. And Richard could write this beautiful stuff that would express Dole's feelings in, in a way much more lyrical than Dole himself. Although Dole's a pretty good writer, actually. But he's not a professional writer like Richard. And uh, um, so he uh, had this one-page uh, eulogy that they were going to play you know, just on a cassette player at the event. And we had this little tape recorder, and, we, and, and Walt Riker had made this uh, sort of little uh, traveling studio thing, sound uh, V that we could put on Dole's desk, and then he could do an actuality, you know, into a, a cassette player, and we could do whatever with it. And so that day, Dole called me down to his office, and uh, he told me, you know, he had to read this eulogy, and we needed, he just wanted me to record it and send it out to wherever this was in western Kansas. And uh, I'm not exaggerating. We must, he must have done it uh, 10, 12 times. And he would get 30 seconds into it and break down. And I'd stop and rewind. This went on for, you know, it was probably a 90-second piece, and it must have taken 30 minutes or something. And... Uh, He'd start again and start again. He finally got through it, and then, and then uh, he said, "Okay." And I went and got it, and and, that, and we never talked about it again and stuff. But um, very, you know, really emotional, or just right under the surface with Dole, you know. And people, you know, a lot of people think, you know, he's a real tough guy and angry and mean and cussing and, and you know yelling at staff or something like that. You know, I, that's just I never heard him yell at the staff. He. he actually raised his voice to me one time and the whole, you know, the whole time I was ever around him. And uh, it wasn't bad, you know. He never cussed. I'd never heard him cuss out anybody, you know, ever. Um, that's a complete, you know, it's not uh, wrong that he's tough and can be difficult. And, uh, but, you know, the idea that he's, um, well, anyway, yeah, he's very... Really emotional when it comes to really family and friends, I think. So, what's your reaction when people do say, "Well, it gives me the sense it's a spark ready to ignite and short temper." I think you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, when uh, uh, you know that I, I always thought, like if um, if Dole was president, if he had become president, and there was a real crisis at hand, and he really had to go sit down with, at the time, you know, the premier of Russia or Soviet Union uh, or something like that, you'd want a little bit of that, you know. And uh, um, when when he's really his back is up against the wall, when things were at the craziest is when he was at his most calm and, uh, and most, uh, that's sort of he would rise to the occasion. I mean, I... One thing, I, I do think Dole liked it when the staff was in total disarray and mad at each other and just completely uptight and everything. And that's when he'd be at his happiest and he'd walk through real calmly and laughing and stuff and everything. It's when nothing was going on and it was like if it was some like a couple of weeks and there's just nothing going on, he would get, um, I don't know if it was depressed or 
bored and and uh, then you know he could be snappy and stuff a little bit but uh, um, I, I think part of his reputation comes from of that you know I mean the whole hatchet man thing that one debate was really kind of and he, and he was pretty tough in that debate <laughs> you know you watch it and he was, he was uh, although he was being funny but nobody I actually remember watching it I was in college and I watched it and I thought he was funny um, and he I still I mean I've seen bits of it since then and I, he was funny but uh, but it was he was kind of like being a satirical commentator on things and and other people were watching it thinking well but he's running for vice president and it didn't seem appropriate to the occasion I think um, what about around Contra what happened? you know I don't I really don't remember that much about that to, I, honestly I sound like Reagan that's, my, that's Reagan's answer to that too but I don't. I don't remember that much. Well, I mean, you just didn't, I guess, have any contact with that issue I, from Dole's standpoint. Is that correct? Well, let me see. When was Iran Contra? I don't think I was there. Eighty-three. Oh, okay. I just. I just don't remember Dole having that much to do with that. And maybe he did. And, um, Senate friends, you. Uh, you mentioned he, how he enjoyed working with Moynihan. Really liked Moynihan uh, when I. First was on the staff. Uh, Hubert Humphrey was still alive, and I know Dole really liked Humphrey, um, really admired Humphrey. And when Humphrey died, you know, he really pushed through having the HHS building named after Humphrey. And uh, um, McGovern, you know, uh, everybody knows that he and McGovern became really close friends um, and worked really closely together on nutrition issues. Um, I'm trying to think, on the, uh, I think, you know, I think he had a good relationship with Nancy Casabon. Um and uh, I, a lot of my friends were on Casabon's staff, and the Casabon and Dole staff were supposed to be real competitive and supposedly hated each other and all that and everything. Um, a lot of my best friends were on Casabon's staff, uh, and uh, you know, I think there was a little bit of that though because Dole was a lot more powerful, a lot, you know, senior and and. Uh, I think the Casbon people considered themselves a lot more liberal, and you know, uh, so there was tension uh, on the staffs. I always thought Casbon and she—I think she was kind of an amazing character, actually. But uh, she was so self-confident. She was the perfect junior senator for a guy like Dole because she was totally self-confident. She couldn't care less that he was more powerful than she was. Um, she couldn't care less. Uh, it, she just was so secure in her own abilities and, and uh, I think she was totally aware that she was a junior senator and, and didn't have the experience he had but she really knew that she was very intelligent and had her own opinions she disagreed with him sometimes uh, she did it in a way that really did not irritate him and I was around him some when he I remember one time early on uh, Senator D'Amato who later became uh, I think pretty close to Dole actually did something that really irritated Dole and I remember him saying we're going to cut him off at the knees and I remember that specifically you know never anything like that about Casabon it's just it would be preposterous to imagine it and I don't think he had a good relationship with Pearson it was more Pearson than him Uh, but Pearson was a senior senator before uh, you know who had been there a little bit before Dole and uh, Dole came in and just completely blew Pearson away and uh, I, I don't think that went over very well with Pearson uh, so I think maybe the fact that Casbon was so much easier to deal with, you know, 
Um, I was thinking, uh, it was around him and Kennedy some, because on Judiciary Committee staff, Kennedy was chairman of the Judiciary Committee when I worked there. And I think they had a pretty good relationship. Alan Simpson was one that I think Dole really liked. Uh, Simpson really admired Dole and became kind of a Dole guy and was very much like Dole in that he had this great sense of humor and was real candid and real, you know, uh, easy to deal with, smart guy. Um, I think Dole had a really good relationship with Rudy Boschwitz, but I don't think it would have been in the same way. It wasn't necessarily they were friends. I think Boschwitz seems a little younger, but uh, I think Dole really liked Boschwitz. Um, uh, Dole, I think, admired both Thurmond and uh, Jesse Helms as sort of older, you know, the next generation of guys. Um, i trying to think uh, who else. Oh, uh, Goldwater, I think it was also kind of the generation ahead of him. I, I was one time with Walt in the majority leader's office, I guess, 1985, State of the Union night, and we'd always, uh, you know, watch the State of the Union, and then uh, Dole would talk to reporters afterwards in the rotunda, I guess. They called it something. And uh, we were waiting in Dole's office, and Barry Goldwater walked in, and it was just Walt, me, Dole, and Goldwater. And Goldwater sort of saying, God damn it, Bob, where the hell are we supposed to go? Nobody tells us a goddamn thing. It was worse, actually, than that. And Walt and I were just just really, and Dole, we were all laughing, and so Goldwater was kind of doing it to uh, amuse us. But I had the feeling that uh, Dole really liked Goldwater personally, you know. But he liked some of his favorite senators, clearly, were Democrats. Russell Long, he really admired Russell Long. And again, I think, I don't know if that was so much of a friendly thing, or I think Dole saw him as a mentor. And uh, Russell Long, I think, really liked Dole. And uh, um, Dole spoke real highly of him. And he liked Tip O'Neill. I was around the two of them some, and they had a really easy relationship, I think. I think Dole had a good relationship with most of the senators, and that's why he was able to be elected majority leader. It's really hard to be elected majority leader, you know. And, and uh, I remember the, even the media thought Dole was a lock for majority leader when Howard Baker left because Dole was so much more famous than the other senators. That had nothing to do with it, you know. It just that has, doesn't help you at all. In fact, it might you know, be a hindrance uh, because what they want is the best, you know, legislative maneuver guy and not necessarily a guy who's going to run for president and get all this press. So I actually don't think that was a help for Dole at all. I think what got him elected was that they, they thought he'd be the best, you know. And... Uh, Ted Stevens, almost. You know, it was real close. It was like third ballot or something. What about uh, Elizabeth? How important has she been? Oh, I think, you know, extremely. They couldn't be more different, you know. Um, and uh, I don't know her nearly as well as I know him, but I was around her quite a bit you know, for a small period of time. And, and uh, um, she, like I say, was out on that 80 campaign, both presidential campaign and the Senate campaign. And then I was around her at various times, and there was a year or two, maybe one year, uh, when uh, probably at the end of the Clinton administration when she was in the office a lot, because I think she was between something. Uh, and uh, um, But, you know, she's very organized and analytical, and I won't be the only person that tells you this. Um, rehearsed, uh, everything is written out, and... They're so opposite, it's just, it's absolutely 
it's almost ridiculous and absurd because he, you try to tell him exactly what to say or what to do, you know, you wouldn't be there. <laughs> he just, he'd never talk to you again. I mean, uh, and with her, just the opposite. Um, I remember uh, the day she was announced as Secretary of Transportation. Um, she was at the time, I think, uh, well, she had a senior staff position in the Reagan White House. And uh, Reagan announced that she was going to be nominated for Secretary of Transportation. And Dole had me drive him to the White House after the announcement. And we went into her office. And uh, he was kind of telling her who to call in uh, uh, Congress, um, who was on the right, you know, transportation committees and so on. And, um, and she was doing, you know, what he said, you know. And, um, but, I mean, she obviously has had her own career and, and, uh, and uh, you know, she's a senator now and uh, on her own and all that. But, uh, man, you know, he's very uh, driven by uh, instinct, I think. And, uh, and, you know, she's very much... Uh, has everything laid out and wants to know exactly what's next and all, and all that. They're very different. He, he used to kid her about it in front of us, you know. This has been really informative. Well, thanks. Lots of good information. And uh, we could go Oops, on, but I think the room <laughs> is going to be taken good. over by someone else. So we'll stop yeah. here. Thank you. Well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, I,